Since the 1980s, there has been a growing political consensus that climate change poses an existential threat to our planet. However, political leaders over the years have failed to reach an agreement about how we tackle it. Today, we're talking about the net zero carbon agenda. Who's involved and ultimately, will it work? Welcome to the Meridian Podcast. Hello, Ollie. How are you? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. A little bit warm without the aircon on in this apartment. But I yes, do, do, do explain to everyone where you're recording this from. Oh, yeah. So the reason why my quality <laughs> might not be great is because I'm currently in Seville, Spain, which is very lovely, but you also need aircon to be able to survive. And I didn't really think my outfit choice through. Turned the aircon off about five minutes ago and I'm already regretting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I respect it. If you suddenly hear a whirring in the middle of this podcast, the, the aircon situation has become has become dire. Yeah, I'm good. I'm all good. Enjoying having a bit more of a life again for the first time in a while. But um, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. So as we said in the intro, talking about net zero and the whole climate change agenda at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, so we haven't done a podcast on this before. We did one on fast fashion and sustainability, which obviously ties into that argument. But we are joined today by the wonderful Alexia and Rebecca, who are going to be talking to us all things net zero emissions, what we can be doing, what governments can be doing, and basically what the next few decades are going to be looking like. Yeah, so guys, if you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourselves. Becca, you are you have been on the podcast before, but um, I'm sure people would love to hear from you again. Um, so Alexia, if you'd like to go first. Um, I'm Alexia. I, well, I tend to go by Alex, and um, I'm an A-level student. I study English, um, language and literature, history and law. Oh, and I'm 17. Wonderful. <laughs> Amazing, thank you. I'm Becca. Uh, so I'm Becca. I've just finished my journalism accreditation. I did international relations and French and Spanish at uni and I'm trying to be a solutions journalist looking at social issues and climate change. Very interesting solutions journalist. I haven't heard of that as sort of a category before. Very cool. Yes, um, very cool. Um, so Alexia, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast um, is because you wrote an article for the Meridian magazine and we always love to bring the authors onto the podcast. The title of the article was, quote, there is no planet B, why the idea of net zero carbon emissions no longer seems impossible. Um, so just as a sort of starter to get the conversation going, that sounds like a fairly optimistic um, view that you hold. Are, are you optimistic about the net zero agenda and about, you know, the future of the planet in general? I think that it's definitely something that can be achieved, but it's something that everyone has to work together towards. It can't be something that one country decides we're going to put our all into it and then another country is iffy with it. It's something that everyone's got to really... It, it's a goal that everyone's got to work towards, is the bottom line. But I think that if we do work towards it properly, we have the resources to be able to do that. So, yeah, I do think that it is possible. Sorry for butting in there. You mentioned in your article, obviously there's so many different, you know, when you say that we all have to work together, there's so many different ways that that can kind of be taken, whether that's we as a society, i.e. individual citizens doing individual things every day that are going to contribute to that, or we as in the big companies that, you know, set the agenda or are sort of like dominating the conversation at the moment, or even we on the level of governments and transnational organisations like the UN and things like that. So where do you see all of those sort of strata fitting together in this sort of 
battle or battle or effort to get to net zero? Um, I think that the the most important people when it comes to it are the individuals because corporations, businesses, they can put up advertising, make certain changes, but at the end of the day, people have got to decide within themselves that this is something that they want to do and they want to have a better world for future generations. So I think that it stems from the individuals themselves and then bigger companies and such will see that people are making these individual changes and I think it's their job and the government's job to be able to adapt to that rather than having it come from above and trickling down to below. Yeah I think I think that's so interesting and, and that's actually a great segue into into the issue of basically where where the question of individual freedoms lies you know choice versus control and Becca there are so many things that individuals can do to um help the effort to stop climate change of course you know becoming vegan changing their diet uh, travel very topical at the moment talk about holidays and stuff um what do you think is the most important thing that someone can do not necessarily the most scientifically impactful but do you think that the the, sort of the the thing that's going to be really topical in the next say decade is going to be changes to the way we travel definitely I think travel is one of the ones that I would put up there as still quite kind of untapped. We're kind of unwilling to give up our holidays. I think it's something that um, we still need to let go of. Uh, I know that, you know, if you're, you're big on watching travel documentaries or anything about like sort of travel magazines, you know that that is moving and that is coming into the culture a little bit. I think we're already talking about sustainable fashion and, ditching fast fashion obviously we've, we've talked about that before in the in the other podcast we did uh, together uh, but that's already kind of much more in the conversation I think travel is still got a long way to go we're still we have that term of flight shaming uh, which is kind of coming out a little bit but still actually understanding our individual relationship with how that impacts other people I think you know you could watch an episode on Netflix for instance and end up that could impact somebody's water supply. And like I've been like reading about it so much the last couple of weeks, and I cannot actually wrap my head around how a choice that you make can impact somebody else on the other side of the world. And I think because it's so indirect, we have no idea that impact. So I think it's going to be really interesting in the next couple of years how we try and fight against that narrative a little bit. I think it's our responsibility to find out a little bit more absolutely i think one question that i kind of have from this perspective is that i absolutely agree every single action that we all take on a daily basis has direct you know and indirect consequences on so many different things but for some people i think they feel that they feel intimidated by the sort of amount of things that they could be doing for example they might make the decision to switch to plant-based milk only to have people tell them that that plant-based milk is also bad for the environment, or they might try and cut down on, um, on you know, like fashion or something, only to be told that the shops that they're buying from also have problems, or that they're not doing enough, or that they're doing the wrong things. How can we kind of encourage people to, to start to make that transition without it turning into like a shaming culture or blame game? And that's open to both of you, really. I mean, I don't, I don't mind going, uh, going first. Um, I've really struggled with it and it's one of the reasons why I didn't 
start reporting on climate change initially because I felt like how where am I to talk and preach to people when I may be doing one thing or another thing um but not I'm not doing everything and I think it's about it being flexible and seeing all these things that we can do it's not overwhelming but as options I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan I try to cut down my meat intake as much as possible it's being what they call a flexitarian um which it's just about making it accessible to you and the things that you can manage. And the more options of like zero waste shops and things that start to spring up, if we all do something, that demand will increase. I think it's about actually understanding that the more demand there is, the more people that get involved, the easier that actual lifestyle change will become. And Alex, where do you stand on the, the, issue, the issue of food? Um, do you think that there is sometimes a kind of shaming of people um, if they still eat meat or drink milk or whatever? And do you think that really helps anything? I don't think that there's shaming as such, but I feel like the agenda is definitely pushed that obviously cows, they do contribute a lot to greenhouse gas emissions. And so that's the main thing that's pushed forward. Stop eating red meat, dairy. You can't have any more dairy. But I think that instead of saying you can't have it, it's more a case of maybe not have it as often, maybe have it once a week, twice a week if you have to, but also I just think that it's not, it doesn't have to be cut out entirely, just like with travel, saying don't go on a plane, that's not gonna help anything. And then it makes people think, well, why am I having to do this? And then there's the, people don't really take ownership over what they're doing. And then it all just kind of comes together and then the issue is not resolved. So I think that it's definitely more a case of you've got to ease people slowly into things. Well, sorry, rather than just being like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do this. And coming at it from the other perspective, so we've talked a lot about individual choices, which as you've both said, is an incredibly important aspect of this. But equally, I think there's a big push for governments to, to be, well, at least to be seen to be setting goals, taking actions and stepping forward. And of course, the government agenda is essentially what shapes the way that a country's gonna go because they're the big shots that make the big decisions when it comes to energy, when it comes to taxes on certain companies for like, you know, when they do things that are perhaps contributing to, to the fight against climate change. So where do you think, you know, a legislative sort of political role is also really important? Because as much as individual decisions, of course, are going to pave the way for that momentum and set the agenda, then it's up to the politicians and to the movers and shakers. I mean, just before one of you guys jumps in, just I think that's such a good point. And on the issue of the role of politicians in this, I think it's so easy for politicians to legislate targets but not to legislate to implement those targets. And that sounds like a very sort of intricate um, criticism. But so, for example, very recently, the UK government, as um, Alex said in her article, um, committed to reducing, I think it's emissions by 78% by 2035. And so that commitment is in law. But, you know, that means nothing. The, the government of the day will not resign if that doesn't happen. It's simply a pledge. And actually... I think it becomes a bit of a, a mask for a lack of action sometimes. I don't know if anyone agrees with me on that. But um, yeah, I just thought, I, I saw that headline of the reduction of the emissions and I just thought, mm, is it just another another headline to avoid some action maybe? I don't know. I couldn't agree more. I mean, frankly, it's the, the fact that you can put targets and it, it's 
as if you are going to do it and look we're so great we're world leading we're doing this but actually i mean you look at the the uk 40 percent of our plastic waste has been outsourced out you know to turkey or malaysia and um, in poland as well it was like three they're the three top countries for the uk's plastic waste and they're just being dumped it's not being recycled it's not being dealt with um and that's terrifying to know that we are apparently world leading in our recycling or whatever and frankly we aren't we're just making it somebody else's problem so it's very easy for that to go on behind the scenes without being held accountable and I think that's where the individuals come in yeah I also I think just being on from what Ollie said earlier about the governments will they'll propose things and they'll say we're trying to achieve this target by this time but then they don't provide a resolution to that they don't tell people what they should be doing they just say this is what we need to do and in my article I even mentioned the fact that Michael Gove he was saying that we need to there's a climate crisis we need to stop doing this and this but then he was championing the fact that there was going to be an expansion of Heathrow Airport so I think that they also need to step up to the plate as well and, and not order people about but just try and slowly ease in things try to say in a a kind of way but let people know that this is actually a real crisis and it's not something anymore that can just be glossed over like has been in previous years let's talk about international organizations and international treaties the role of the global political community not just um domestic governments um the cop 26 climate summit is this year this november in glasgow um Again, similarly to the conversation we just had, but I guess in relation to international organisations this time, how useful do we think that huge agreements such as the Paris Climate Accords, such as the Kyoto Protocol, are? Because actually, I think where if we can learn anything about tackling climate change, it is from these big agreements because they do often result in implementation of new policies. Then they're imperfect, you know, that they're voluntary. We saw President Trump um, withdraw from the Paris Agreement. President Biden has since rejoined. Um, but actually, they do produce some good results. There's, there's the EU um, carbon emissions trading scheme. Um, so it's important to acknowledge progress as well, isn't it, Becca? Completely. I mean, I think there is not a better pressure for different countries and seeing how else, how other countries are performing against them. And I think that does drive change. Um, and I think it's actually a really great way of holding countries that are underperforming accountable. I mean, you look at the China, the US, they're two countries that are, at, you know, what's the word? They're, they're, they're needing to really push forward their carbon emissions um, to get to our net zero targets that really needs to move they are the world's biggest polluters and that is important I think where I worry is that we're not looking necessarily at the massive multinational corporations as much through that so maybe I'd like to see more of that and but it's nice to see um, and I'm looking forward to COP26 and what comes out of it adding on to the whole Paris agreement Thing. I personally don't think that the Paris Agreement is that effective, just purely based on the fact that each country that is involving the agreement has its own agenda and own internal problems that stop it from being able to reach what they've actually agreed upon. For example, Britain is liberal. You've got 
it's full of people that really have their own individual agendas that they want to fulfill. And so they see it as I can do what I want. I don't have to follow what the government is telling me to do. And the people have settled, especially in Britain, have settled into a way of life where they can eat whatever food they want. They can go on holiday whenever they want. They can travel across the country in their petrol and diesel cars wherever they want. But then you've got fourth world countries such as Haiti where they don't have problems which are stopping them from achieving what the Paris Climate Agreement is trying to say. So you've got, as you said, places such as China where their greenhouse emissions are massive in comparison to places like Haiti, a lot of Caribbean countries. So I think that it's kind of hard to reach an equilibrium when you have places that are completely on the opposite end of the spectrum. One other thing I wanted to ask, um, and I know that we're kind of circling back a little bit here, but as we've been talking, it's kind of been on my mind. Um, We were talking a lot about when the public mood changes or like shifts in the public mood. Two questions here. Where do you think that's come from? Has that come from the top? Has that come from more awareness in that respect? Or has that come from just a sense of like popular culture changing? And number two, if if you're listening, if, if a person's listening to this and they're thinking, oh, I completely agree, like there needs to be a sea change in the public shift so that these, these um, meetings, these agreements actually have value and are listened to and, uh, and the citizens are holding them to account because it's a priority for them as well. What can people really be doing to, to be getting that right into the forefront of the public conversation? Um, I mean, I'd say it, start, it always starts from the bottom, these things. Um, where I was looking at Earth Day recently, um, I was a couple, my goodness, was that beginning of May? Jeez, that's fast. Um, where the whole actual environmental, the modern sort of environmental movement came from students protesting. And I can't say that that necessarily has changed all that much. It's still young people that are spearheading it. It's online, it's in person you have incredible activists all over the world um who are championing the movement and they're the ones that are putting pressure i mean you know obviously it's spearheaded by figures like greta thunberg and things like that when she's actually been looking at boycotting cop 26 and i'm not sure if she's made a decision on that yet of whether or not the paris agreement is actually following it what's her just sorry to interrupt but what's her reason you know what's her reason i think it was to do with the fact that countries weren't doing enough for the the, i honestly don't know the specifics of it Mm -hmm. i just know that she she was threatening to do so unless more was done i don't know if anyone else knows more than i do just to go off on a a slight tangent on that like do we think stuff like that is helpful obviously that's a hugely powerful act of protest and she has a huge following around the world but here we have an effort that's bringing together virtually every country in the world to try and come up with new solutions and she's boycotting it. Do you think that's helpful? I think it shines a light on the fact that it's not as effective as we think it is. Just kind of like what Alex was saying, you know, it's very easy for us to organise international summits, but as far as I'm concerned, that could have been online. We could have had it last year. It was meant to be last year. And yet we insisted on having it in person and whether or not it's maybe easier to you know facilitate these agreements that's one argument I don't know personally I thought if you'd had it last year online the way that we've had events for the entire year we're kind of used to online events now 
that would have been, I don't know, far better for the environment. Alexia, where do you stand on the whole issue of where these changes have come from, from the bottom, from the top, from cultural trends? Um, cultural trends. I think that, especially as a younger person, I definitely see social media as a, a, a platform where it's easy to misspread information as such. And you have people that will go i saw a video the other day and it was it was really it was disgusting it was just someone flogging a cow and then they were like oh this is why people need to become vegetarian vegan you've got that side of it where people have taken it to the extreme but i think that just simply spreading the word is a good way to rally up people protests that's a good way to make sure that because that's the way of being heard, I think, by the government. I, I think, Eve, to be honest, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned popular culture. I really do think, and I guess this is potentially quite a sort of westernised view of things, but I do think that popular culture is so important in influencing people's awareness of it. Um, you know, like charity shop, for, charity shop, clothes shopping, for example. I buy so many of my clothes now from vintage shops or charity shops because I see people on Instagram doing it and like I really like the clothes where I wouldn't have even considered doing that five years ago um the same with like I'll watch someone's YouTube video of vegan meals they made that week and I I don't think of it as a conscious oh I should be a vegan this week it's that food looks nice they presented it in such a nice way I want to do that so that is definitely a westernized view of things and it's definitely a young person's um someone who's on social media's um, way of thinking but that's def i really do think small changes if we're talking about small personal changes it really is influences among friends and family and generations that are going to make such a difference i was 100 percent going to say that of course as we said as you were just saying you know the young people in the western world you know it's a very specific group of people but it's a large group of people and a big group of people that are going to go on to become world leaders and you know the movers and shakers that i've that i mentioned earlier essentially they're going to be the ones that are setting the agenda and i'm exactly the same um you know i have dabbled with like you know trying like plant milk or things like that and i always felt really overwhelmed just by like how much there was that i could be doing but like slowly but surely you know it doesn't need to be you know overnight you don't need to change everything in your life overnight but i see things on tiktok i see like meal ideas recipe ideas um cool vintage places that you can go and or sustainable clothing brands the sweater i'm wearing right now is from a sustainable clothing brand that i found on instagram um and so i think that you're right it's slowly becoming just a part of what we consume every day seeing people making those changes and recommending vegan restaurants for example or things like that um and i think that we shouldn't underestimate that sort of grassroots almost slow trickle of change and how much that will actually wash over over the generations hopefully fingers crossed <laughs> yeah no i i completely agree i completely agree just to kind of i guess end where we started then if you are optimistic or slightly pessimistic or however you feel about the net zero agenda i think net zero by 2050 is really the sort of gold standard absolute latest that most countries are talking about um whether you're optimistic or pessimistic about it just briefly i I guess we can all go around why is that is it is it the character of the political leaders is it the lack of urgency or if you're optimistic is it the hope among young people you see um 
Eve, go for it. <laughs> I could be being incredibly naive here, and I probably am. But I do have hope because of the people that I see around me every single day who are so passionate about it. And these, as I said, in 30 years' time, these are going to be the people. What I worry about is that this change might come slightly too late. I am really worried that ultimately, I think what it comes down to is that the generation kind of calling the shots right now know for a fact that it's not going to impact them really within their lifetime. To be honest, we might be all right. You know, I think as well who it's really going to impact our children, and our grandchildren. And so what worries me is that the human race, I just don't think has the longevity like of sight to do things this far in advance. Humans, like, for example, if I've not got a deadline for like five months, I'm not going to start working for that deadline until like a month before because the urgency is just not there. And so I sometimes worry that how are we going to get this sense of urgency across until it really is too late? But I'm hopeful that the tide is changing. I'm hoping that it will become a priority, but I'm not am I hopeful that we'll be at net zero by 2050 oh I just don't know I can't I just don't know I, I want to I want to have faith in the human race <laughs> I'm just saying, I want to be positive I'm not sure I am I think that um I look for the solutions that's what I'm trying to hardwire myself to be like that because I have to think optimistically I don't like the alternative so I think I put my faith in our generation who are having that conversation every day that are linking it with other issues of equality that you know are spearheading that activism that has become very ingrained in our culture at least in a, in a westernized society and um, and I think that if I put my faith in if I'm going to put my faith in anyone it's going to be them so and Alex, you wrote the article with, a, as I said, quite an optimistic title. Um, you say that net zero no longer seems impossible. Where does your optimism come from? Uh, it, it mainly comes from the fact that it's not for us. It's for the, the next generation. And of course, like the other two, I do want to be optimistic about it. That's the only thing that you can be. Whether we're going to achieve it by 2050, I don't know. But uh, the bottom it really comes down to the fact that people just need to stop being so selfish because it people can do what they have to do individually but as I've said numerous amounts of time like we're not going to achieve anything if we don't work together and so people need to make little changes and realize that they're not doing it for themselves they're doing it for the rest of the world and for people that aren't even in the world yet yeah yeah I'm, I'm similar as all of you I, I want to have this hope and I do have hope I guess for me I'm anyone who knows me knows I'm an absolute political like geek I follow politics extremely closely and for me as soon as it as soon as the issue of climate change and the net zero agenda becomes the number one issue not a side issue not a fairly big issue but the number one issue in our politics and in our elections then I think I will really start to have hope that something something will happen from that and some momentum will build. Well, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was so interesting. Um, Eve, I've loved having these two, have you? Yeah, honestly, I every time we do one of these as well, I am slowly making changes myself. And then I do one of these and I think, now's time for a next change. So I think we just need to do these all the time because I learn more and more every single time. And 
it's such an important issue. It is the most important issue facing our generation and the generations below us. There is no, nothing else matters. If we don't have a planet mm-hmm. that's habitable, nothing else will matter. So, yeah. yeah, I think we could all agree on that 100%. Well, thank you both so much for coming on, Alex, Rebecca. And of course, um, we will link Alexia's article in the description. And as always, let us know what you think of the episode, tweet us, email us, whatever. Um, It's been a pleasure having you both. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. That was a really, really insightful conversation, wasn't it? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I mean, reading Alex's article on the Meridian website, um, I was just, I was like, this is just perfect for a, a podcast episode. Because it is just, it is so topical. You know, we had the law passed recently, COP26. We're talking about travel every day in relation to holidays. And every time that comes up in the news, I think the nature of holidays is changing so much, not just because of the pandemic, but because of climate change. So yeah, so topical. And yeah, I guess we hope everyone enjoyed. Absolutely. We'll definitely be doing more episodes on climate change in the future. But we are actually going to be taking... A little break, you'll probably notice that the podcasts have dropped off recently for no reason other than we're having to think about how we want to do the podcast, how often, what format, what style. Basically, we're going to have a couple of months because we're both quite busy with other things to have a think, to regroup and regather and hopefully come back bigger and better than ever in a couple of months. Oh yeah, we will very much be back. We'll definitely be back time for September. Um, And yeah, we'll have brand new guests, new issues to talk about, new articles to discuss. And yeah, I just want to say thank you, I guess, um, because it's been so much fun since since we started in September. I've enjoyed it so much. We've covered so many things, interviewed some amazing people, and it's it's become such a lovely part of what I do. Yeah, this is essentially kind of the end of the first season almost. Do you know what I mean? Oh, wow, I like that. If you had to highlight, (laughs) what would your because mine would 100% be John Sopel. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that is the the box office answer. But yeah, honestly, interviewing John Sopel, it was such a such a random thing to happen. It was so um, real, though. Don't want, I don't want to give away my our sort of producing secrets, but it really, like, that happened because of John's goodwill. That, that was not any kind of persuasion skill. He really was up for it. And it was so interesting talking to him. And it was quite surreal, actually, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah, it was so fun. Anyway, we will be back in your feeds very, very soon and have a wonderful summer. And maybe uh, next time you listen to an episode of the podcast, all the restrictions will be gone in the UK. We can hope. We can pray. Who knows? We might have even met in person for the first time after a year of... Why would that be so weird? Like, I literally can't even imagine that. (laughs) You exist on a screen. You you do not exist. (laughs) Okay, that is enough of that. Right. We'll see you all very soon. Bye, guys.